Hello, this is Lori Rayfeld, and I'm here with Gary Heseltine. And Hi. is that did I pronounce it right? Heseltine. Heseltine, and I'm Lori Rayfeld. Uh, my name is usually mispronounced often. We're with, I'm with a uh, God, aliens, and a cup of coffee. And most often, sometimes we lean towards that cup of coffee. And I'm excited today because having Gary on, to me, he's one of the most honest, truthful, direct human beings that I know. I mean, uh, working with him on Capel Green, he really had me thinking, you know, about um, what my part would be in the Capel Green documentary. And, and if it wasn't for him and for Larry, uh, I would not have had that opportunity to, to be on it. And I think that Gary has been a real force through his magazine. And we'll talk a little bit about that. One thing is that Larry cannot be here today because of technical difficulties at his home. And he uh, is so excited that Gary's here. And he's hoping that uh, Gary will talk about um, things that you'll hear in a few seconds. Uh, anyway, again, Gary, welcome to God, Aliens, and a Cup of Coffee. Thank you for inviting me on, Laura. Absolutely. And you're pretty good about first, start, you know, just getting in there. I was curious, um, how was it in Brazil? Uh, Brazil was amazing. Uh, uh, it was a, a, a huge honour and uh, a privilege to be able to brief the Senate. And it was kind of bizarre. It's the equivalent of briefing the British Parliament or Absolutely. the equivalent of brief, briefing your American Senate. So it was a huge honour. Uh, and uh, there were nine speakers, uh, seven Brazilian speakers, myself and Robert Salas as international speakers. And it was apparently well received. It was put out live on the, the Senate TV channel, live streamed. Nice. Uh, so we don't know what the ramifications of the event will be, but from what I have gleaned so far, uh, it certainly has been deemed positive. And, and Senator Giral, who was mm -hmm. the main uh, organiser and the host of the event, he said it went really, really well. And he thought that it would lead to other countries coming forward to do the same, which would be amazing if it did. Uh, and just recently, uh, in fact, just in the last couple of days, uh, a video of uh, presentation, a short speech by Luis Elizondo that was supposed to have been played at the event, but wasn't, and I don't know why, uh, has now just surfaced. And so uh, he, he quite openly addresses it to Brazil. So it's a, a, a proper video that he's put out, uh, I think 10 minutes or so. Uh, and uh, he, you know, he's basically saying well done to Brazil for taking up this important lead after America has obviously held a congressional hearing shortly, uh, a, a few weeks ago in May. He's, um, so he's, the, uh, he's the lead from um, uh, the International UFO Congress, Alejandro? Yes, uh, Alejandro has, but but Luis Elizondo. Oh, uh, Luis. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, I'm, yeah, with yeah, yeah. I'm with yeah, you. I'm with you. No, no, Luis Elizondo. I'm talking about um, ah. former ATIP director. He he has put out a video 
about uh, about uh, Brazil. And so if you haven't seen it, then I would urge you to do so because okay. he makes big reference to the fact that it's an important uh, um another key moment in ufo history so to be a from my point of view to be a part of that uh history was was a huge honor wow that that that's that's incredible especially uh you know it's interesting when i when i look at um luis's um startup i mean it seemed like he came out of I don't know, 2016 or something like that. And yeah, I never time, heard yeah. of him until, and now he's like, you know, everyone's, uh, you know. Well, he, he wasn't named until the New York Times article on the 16th of December, 2017. Okay. So that's okay. when he was named because he was named as the uh, head of ATIP. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, I, I, so, so since then he's really become the leading figure in america for tv interviews that's for sure oh, that would be wonderful maybe sometime we'll be able to get him on with you i i would just love to be a part uh, of that uh, uh, uh you can always ask uh, yeah he's a busy man uh, that's right he's very much in demand and uh, much more busy than you or i oh absolutely absolutely and uh but like i said i i just think it's so important to have a voice in it especially like in my case being in the military, uh, being one, one of few women. Did you know back then only 5% of the American armed forces was women? It, it was like, we were not even, now I think it's up to almost 20%. Um, That's good, there should be more women. Absolutely, yeah. I'm all in favor of, uh, yeah. of equal rights and getting more women into power and yeah. uh, in, into elevated positions. But it, but you, but you know we go up, we go up against the um, the the roles that most of us were you know indoctrinated. It was a different for. mindset then, yeah. and, and we were yeah. still. Uh, I mean, we're from that kind of generation where mm-hmm. uh, it was a different thought process. Oh yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I played uh, with the Barbie dolls. Unfortunately, you know? uh, uh, the rise the rise of women and equal equal mm-hmm. status for women uh, it has taken off, and and I think that's great. Yeah, uh, and so yeah. it should be. Yeah. There, there should be none of this dogma that says men were stronger than women and blah blah blah. Yeah. That's yeah. always rubbish. But it, it takes generations to change yeah. things, and yeah. now we're in a much better place. Absolutely. But back, but back yeah, then, better. back then it was really that was really really tough, especially being a low-ranking airman. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, in a very much male-dominated, you know, yeah. uh, nuclear kind of environment. Yeah, I did yeah. that yeah. first for three of my six years and. 35 40 people on a shift uh there was there was no women on my shift right uh, when right. i when i was guarding nuclear weapons and that was uh, 83 to 85 mm-hmm. there was not one woman uh, so it's a very male dominated yeah so in your yeah. case i think it was what one two women uh, who who were in your position um I, well i spent five years in law enforcement um, so I was at Bentwaters in Woodbridge for two and a half years, and it was right about when I hit the two-year mark. Now I'm a, a an airman first class with uh, only a few months away from E4 senior airman, and I, I mean, I was stressed out. I mean, when I had to report my UFO sighting, I. And I had to because it flew over the runway. I mean, yeah, mine yeah, wasn't yeah. off base. I mean, if it was, off- was an excellent sighting. Excellent sighting. What's that? 
your, your sighting was excellent. Yeah, and I did not want to report it. The guy next to me didn't want to report it. I mean, we were handing the radio back and forth. No, 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 you report it. And then he looks at me, no, you're the lead patrol. But I had to report it. It was kind of like I was looking at the options. If I don't report it, that could be worse. If I report it, I'll yeah. take a lot of heat. And I felt I obligated to report it because of the fact that it flew over uh, military airspace at a very low range. I mean, it was only yeah. maybe about 20, low 30 altitude. feet or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, uh, you had to report it because you couldn't have took the risk of not reporting it. But by reporting it, you obviously left yourself wide open for yeah. the ribbon and by your colleagues and, and maybe, yeah. you know. And, and in my teased. case, that's. Yeah, in my case, I was so, I mean, I, I'd been through hell and back and I just wanted to um, go ahead and uh, and tell them, you know, I just wanted to shut up. I felt like they wanted me to shut up, shut up and just do my job and get out of there, you know. And Well, the, the, the history of the subject is the vast majority of people who report these things get a hard time, so... It's oh, yeah. not an easy thing to do, but you were courageous in, in, in yeah. doing so. Well, I appreciate and, and it's there for, for, for uh, stands the testament. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you saying that. I um, think that when it came back, it was funny because it, it came back two weeks after. I left on December 15th of 1980. And back then we didn't have, there was no way at all that I would have ever known that while I was home on Christmas during Christmas time, I was supposed to leave there on December 28th. So yeah. I would have known about it if I, if I decided to longer. sit in the dormitory and with my packed up bags waiting to get home. And instead I, I was so mad. I flew commercial. I did not fly out of Mildenhall to leave. I was All right. So you chose to go commercial. Right. Yeah. It was because my, my flight to leave that they had signed me up for out of Mildenhall would have been um, the 28th of December. And I'm like, hell, if I'm staying here, I mean, I was angry. I was an angry kid at that time. When I, when I left there, I felt like I left the war zone. I mean, uh, the atmosphere of the place to me, uh, it was, it was really yeah. hard and the best. I know psychologically that you find it very hard. But... Yeah, it was similar to what Larry felt. I mean, he felt there was something off about the place. And in my case, um, you could almost say that I, uh, I mean, I physically changed. Now I'm back to about the size I was before I went into the military, the whole thing, even now. And back then, I mean, I had put on like 30 pounds and I lost my stamina. How many 19 year old kids lose their stamina, you know? And I, um, I was light sensitive. I was wearing sunglasses, even on cloudy days. So it was, it was kind of just really, uh, you know, it was bizarre. So it was happening around me. It was happening within me. And so that's why I, I kind of always wanted people to really see the full story of, of Bentwaters from my perspective and from others. Uh, you talked to, you know, I was, I was reading about uh, John Burroughs recently wrote a book with, um, I've, I've got it. Weaponization. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I thought it was very, very good. I, I thought that some of what he had to say um, 
was from his perspective. And I, I think that whatever the, that UFO or what we saw, we all saw something different as if this entity out there wanted us to view it from unique perspectives, um, whether it's uh, from what you could see. I mean, apparently Jim Penniston went up to the object and touched it. And apparently something happened. I think Adrian saw, um, uh, saw John Burroughs kind of disappear. Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, he did. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think what, unfortunately, what most people don't realize is that the case is so complicated and that we're not just looking at two or three events, which mm -hmm. is how it's often described. It's not. When you break it down with all the different sightings over the late Christmas mm -hmm. period, you're looking at 15 or 16 different UFO events. Whatever the UFO is, is mm -hmm. regardless. The point is there are lots of different incidents, and yet most people just think of uh, the Holt night, uh, mm -hmm. John Burroughs and Jim Penniston's first night, right. and what we now know of Laurie, uh, uh, you know, Bonnie Tamplin on the second night. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's so much more to it. But unfortunately, the case is never really portrayed properly in the media anymore. Uh, yeah. and, and that is one of the things that I'm trying to, or will try to rectify, is the way the narrative reads at the moment. Because I have talked to certain military personnel that were on that base, but who won't go forward because of the way, they won't come forward publicly because of the way that the case is portrayed on TV now. Mm -hmm. And they're saying it's not how it was. Uh, and subsequently, yeah. during the course of research for Careful Green, I spoke with lots of people who basically gave me lots of new information, which will come out in due course. And it will... I think surprise a lot of people that it's not quite the narrative that we're led to believe for the last 25 years. Uh, yeah, and I think yeah. And, and, and absolutely. And I really think too, when you mention that, it's also to include and, and to maybe re-educate a lot of these so-called um, researchers or, or investigators to, to help them get the story, you know, to get it more precise. I mean, it's sort of like when I was helping Dion with Capel Green with the uniforms, you know, I, I, I was like such a stickler. Hang on, I think Donna's here. Hang on. Let's see what we got. This is my sister, my cohort, um, Donna Rayfeld Schreiber, who's coming Hello, on. Hello, Donna. He's, he's in the, he, Donna? Hi. Hi, I thought you were wait till you got home. Um, I could do that. I'll, I'll sign back in. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay. Let's see if I could go ahead. I don't know how, okay. Okay, Don? Yeah, I don't know how to get off. It's not letting me. Oh, okay. Uh, let me see here. As the host, you should be able to mute the... Uh... Oh, stop. Okay, I stopped. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, yeah, there are certain things I'm still trying to get in the groove with this. Um, 
before Donna popped on, we were talking about, oh yeah, what I was mentioning is when I was a stickler about when, when um, Dion was working on even uniforms, uniforms and yeah. that kind of thing. I mean, there are a lot of people, I, I saw a presentation on uh, one, of, one of Nick Pope's presentations and he showed a picture of the East Gate that was in the middle of the road. And I'm like, that was built after the fact. That was not the East yeah, Gate. Not, I, mean, yeah. I mean, little things so people have the visuals of what it was like back then. I mean, to me, that that's missing. I, I think one of the things that's uh, really needed uh, that Capel Green will bring is it will bring the forest and the base alive in a way that you've never seen it before. Um, and I've always said that actually the, the whole layout of the woods and the field and the farmhouse and the base, it's a bit like a train set to me. Mm -hmm. It's not a big set uh, and mm -hmm. it's still all there. And it's a bit like a toy train set to me. And uh, when you use um, aerial drone footage, it shows how much it still is like that. Uh, yes. it, it brings it into much more, uh, it gives you scale. You can associate places where incidents happened in relation to where the skate was, to where the alleged mm -hmm. landing, first landing was in the forest, the alleged the incident in the field, the farmhouse, it puts things in perspective. And so one of the things I think that is really urgently needed uh, and Capable Green will bring is this, this aerial view that will bring the forest alive. Because unfortunately, I don't think, and as, as, as daft as this sounds, not many American uh, radio hosts are that familiar with the case. They, oh yes, we're all aware of the case, but mm -hmm. they only know bits of the case. Right. Uh, I still hear lots of times when they quote things that are wrong because they don't know the case well enough to really yeah. talk about it. Uh, and that's unfortunate and, and, and mm -hmm. that needs to be corrected. Yes, uh, yes. Need to, uh, and the aerial perspective will help with that. Yeah. What I, what I also found interesting, and I think it was in that weaponization book again, was the fact that the radio transmission on the law enforcement security police radio uh, was active, active chatter, where when they turned it on to the um, 81st um, fighter wing, it was silent. And I, I really found, found that to be telling because of the fact that it was almost as if they did not want to know, um, you know, the, uh, at the time it would have been, I guess, uh, Gordon Williams was out there. Um, there was no urgency or actually no anything. It was silent from the, from the radio channel where the 81st uh, wing commander was. Well, I, 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 th I think you, you, you're touching on an area that is crucial, I think, to the whole story. Uh, and, and that is, whether uh, Gordon Williams was involved uh, in an incident, mm -hmm. uh, and I think he was. Yeah. Uh, 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 without a shadow of a doubt, I think he was. Uh, but would he, would he report it and would he tell the truth? Of course he wouldn't. 
you know, he's yeah. the base commander of 12,000 personnel. Good to admit that he has a, an incident in a field. Oh, yeah, like yeah. Landing. He's not going to admit that. Yeah, it was like the little kid, you know, uh, the, the, the young airmen who see the UFO and say, here, you report it. No, you report it. So on a bigger level, that's where they were at. They're like, hell, I don't well, want to report this. Well, you, the, 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 the reality is, is that Reynolds from Forest is now widely regarded as the second most important case in UFO history after Roswell. Yes. That, that's debatable, but it's certainly a, one of the top five, I would think. But when you look at the case, uh, the, there is so much complexity to it. It's not just one event. It's multiple events mm -hmm. over several consecutive days. Is it three days, four days? Some people say three nights, some people say four nights. Mm -hmm. I will go down the line of saying four nights. And new material will come out in Cable Green that will support that. Um, the, uh, the, it's such a complicated case. And unfortunately, not enough people really do their due diligence uh, and know it that well. Yeah. And, the real, the, and the other thing that is different about Rendlesham to, I think, all of the cases that I'm aware of, especially world-class cases, is the fact that it's political. There are agendas at play, in my opinion. And mm. uh, some of these genders do not want the truth or all of the truth to come out. And yeah. That's, yeah. that's what makes it a bit different. It's very, very uh, uh, politicised, um, mm -hmm. not in the sense of Republican, Democrat, not that kind of thing, but it's right. political. There's a lot of pressures to say we don't want certain bits of information to be released. We don't want certain things admitted. Uh, and, and I think that's at the heart of the case. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, it, it has, Rendlesham has the ability to be one of those cases that uh, if the real truth all came out, uh, it could be a game changer. You know, it, it would be such mm -hmm. an important case that it could change a lot of people's opinions. And I think that uh, this is another reason why Capel Green needs to come out sooner rather than later, because mm -hmm. we now just had the first congressional hearing in the States for 50 years. Mm -hmm. uh, we've just I've recently just given testimony uh, on the UFO uh, reality, uh, as in what likely to be an ET reality, um, to the Brazilian Senate. So this is unprecedented mm -hmm. times. Legislation's been passed in America. The intelligence services have to report for the first time to Congress and Senate. Uh, and of course, there's now a new proposal in just in recent days uh, about um, effectively being a whistleblower amendment uh, to protect mm -hmm. people and allow them to come forward uh, to tell the truth without uh, fear of, uh, of punishment or career ended. Yeah. And, and that's this is huge. So there's all these things going on at the moment. And I think that, that you know, the Rendlesham story, when it eventually does break, uh, mm -hmm. it will surprise a lot of people just how yeah. powerful it is. And I'm not surprised either that while filming Capel Green, that um, a lot of the folks that were working the uh, drones and the different cameras and whatnot, that uh, experienced seeing some lights and uh, seeing different activity out. Uh, I, won't, I mean, I, I won't, think it's... I won't steal Dion's thunder. Okay. I won't steal his okay. thunder. Gotcha. Suffice to say that. During the no, I'm happy to say that during the course of the filming, that um, there was a, certainly a lot of strange events happened. Mm -hmm. Whilst I we did, were doing I just think it's, I just think it's really the nature of that place that you know. There's that, something there. There is a presence there. Yeah. I think, 
I think he, I wouldn't have said that uh, until I got well into the filming, but my conclusion mm -hmm. is that there is still some kind of presence there. What it yeah. is, I don't know, but I do think there is some kind of presence there. Yeah. And, and I interviewed a number of people over the course of making Capital Green, uh, and, and their stories were amazing. And there's recent events going on, new sightings yeah. still going on, weird objects seen in the forest. So all of this mm -hmm. will come out in Capel Green. But uh, yeah, there is something there. That There's makes something it there. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it seems kind of, you know, other people talk about lee lines and, and different energy um, sources. I think back uh, on the film Close Encounters of the Third Kind, yeah. when um, the guy Roy Neary, the, uh, yeah, the guy yeah, who built yeah. the uh, Devil's, what's it called? Devil's, Devil's Canyon. Tower. Yeah. yeah. Devil's Tower. Yeah. When, yeah, when he built it. Out, and then, out of mashed potato. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes in and, and he, he's at the place now and he's, he's talking to the scientist and the science, he says to the scientist, and this to me is so important and so telling, when he said, how... How do I know these things? I've never been here before, but I know every inch of this place. And, and yeah, you know, I mean, the thing, and it was because- The thing is with the, the fictional character yeah. is that he's, he's kind of compelled. A absolutely, absolutely. And, 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 and when Larry's story place. came out- And I think- What's that? No, I'm just saying the, the, the Roy Neary character in Close Encounters, after his sighting, he then feels compelled. And, and I think that's a recurring thing is that if you do get involved in the UFO story, whether you've had a sighting or you do research, it kind of pulls you in and, and you, you then go off and win wonderful ways. Mm. Uh, and, and certainly from my point of view, I would have never dreamed of, uh, of briefing the, uh, the Brazilian Senate. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah for a little guy from Scunthorpe in Lincolnshire. So uh, it, it's weird and wonderful how the subject can take you to weird, you know, to strange places. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, it's, and, and, and people are compelled to do, you're doing something now to get into radio shows that's compelling you to do that. You feel mm -hmm. as if you need to do that. I feel as if I need to do the magazine and hence why I, yeah. I left the police early uh, to do that. And uh, we're all on different paths, uh, but we're all, small parts of the equation. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you, part of my journey had actually, after, and a lot of this happened as soon as I typed into Netscape, now we're talking 1997, oh, a long time and ago. I typed yeah, yeah. in RAF Bent and yeah. it was like, that was the first time what came up was left at East Gate. And yeah. I could not believe it. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, no, that's oh, fine. Okay. I, 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 have a do I have a dog outside and he's just chewing on a ball. Oh, okay. I think it's the neighbor, I think it's the neighbor's ball, but never mind. Okay, no, it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's his fault. And um, I uh, found myself uh, having having this dream, a recurring dream, and in, yeah. in the dream, this all happened. It's like the floodgates opened in me, and it, yeah. it was like an awakening, and I. Um, was starting to have this recurring dream that one minute, you know, I'm driving around Bentwaters and Woodbridge and I'm trying to tell people that I don't belong here. And, you know, I shouldn't be on patrol or I shouldn't be on the gate because I'm, I'm a major now, you know, I don't do this. Yeah. Or a captain at the time. And then, um, then all of a sudden it's like, I'm driving this vehicle and I'm going down this 
all of a sudden it's no longer rainy and dark road. Like, you know, when it gets rainy in England at night, now it's now I'm on a, I'm on a dusty road and I'm heading into the desert. And, and then I find myself at this pool of water. It's aqua colored water and it's butted up against these dirt mountains. Fast forward, I get a complimentary copy of a magazine, um, National Geographic. And at that point, I see the mountains and this pool of water. I'm like, oh my God, where is this place? And it was in Mexico. And it turned out it was about maybe, I think like a hundred miles from the zone of silence. It was, it was all interconnected. I mean, it wasn't that far. Um, So then I was zone of silence. And I started thinking about the radar jamming and things that they were experimenting on near and around Bentwaters and Woodbridge and Bobsy Bay. And then, you know, I mean, all these pieces were starting to come together. And, you know, again, I'm like, I'm like, this is really weird. I mean, all of a sudden I find out that I'm thinking about a place the zone of silence, never heard of it in my life. Yeah. That shows up, shows up in a dream. And then, um, um, and it has, it's known for having high UFO activity. Yeah. yeah. And it's also known. And then interestingly, Pleiades comes into the picture, that cluster of stars. Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently there's these three people. They have sightings of these three people that um that visit two men and a woman and they look almost nordic like and they uh they either help people who get lost in the desert but it turns out they're from pleiades so i'm thinking well how is that related to bentwaters and woodbridge well it turns out that there's sutton who that's very very close to raf woodbridge and they actually have these mounds there that are shaped like the uh, star cluster Pleiades. And I'm, you know, so I'm kind of thinking here I am, I got these pieces and I'm just wanting, I guess, reaching out to people to say, help me with these pieces, please. I mean, I can't do it by myself, but I I know that this is where I become Roy Neary. It's like, why the hell do I know this stuff that, It was never in my, you know, um, never on my radar, but it, it started to really come out after Larry's book came out. So I, I just found that really. It, it, it's weird how things get you into this subject. And uh, I, I had a childhood sighting at 16, but I didn't actually go public with my research until I was 42. So, I mean, that's a huge gap. And, you know, I had no idea that when I did go public in 2002, uh, where it would take me. So it's been a weird and wonderful journey. But I've talked to lots of other researchers and they've had very strange lives as well. So I think we're all on different paths and we're all playing a part of the jigsaw. Yeah, absolutely. And and I really hope that people start looking at this, that the experiencers and those who have been close to, you know, have walked on that property, you know, being so close, I mean, a good part of your life, I have to say, at least 20, maybe 30 years of your life has been 
Rendlesham Forest. And I know with Larry, it's been since uh, since he was there. And uh, and I remember too. It's Absolutely. funny. I remember when they got the new crop of guys that came in from from uh, tech school. It was a whole bus load of them, and I was counting my days down, which I hated the fact that I did that. But that's what most people did because you because you get to the point that you just hate being there. Um, I loved England, loved, loved, loved England. As long as I was away from the base, I was fine. But once I got really on the base, it's like my stress level went through the roof, which is another thing. Why would that happen? You're at a sleepy little base. Why would your stress level go? So, you know, through the roof. Well, I would argue that obviously you were there and I weren't, Um, but, uh, in the in the reality, it wasn't a sleepy base. It was Britain's top strike base. Uh, yeah. If the so if the Soviets had decided to uh, come trying to take over Europe, um, then Bentwood and Woodbridge were at the forefront of being Britain's uh, nuclear strike deterrent with the uh, tactical nuclear weapons. So yeah. uh, it's it, it it might be the sleepy Suffolk, mm. but it certainly wasn't a sleepy base. It was it was Britain's top NATO strike this so a contradiction in terms there yeah yeah so you mentioned this this book that you're writing um can you share a little bit about it well it it, it, i never intended to write a book um at all um but as the capel green production entered its third year and then a fourth year I, I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, it's taking a lot longer than anyone anticipated. Yeah. And a lot of, as, as with any um, uh, uh, video process, you will only have so much time on camera. So with all the interviews that I've done and all the research that I've done, only a small part of it will actually feature in Capel Green. Uh, so I'm th- I began yeah. to think, well, Actually, I've got a huge amount of material here. Uh, and it was actually my then wife who's, who suggested, why don't you write a book whilst Capel Green is in post-production? So mm-hmm. that's basically what I've been doing. And so I've now been on this process now for a couple of years. Um, wow. uh, and it takes as long as it takes. Uh, but yeah, by August, it will be five years I've been involved in Capel Green and, and and hopefully the book will be out this year. Yeah, I, I'm sure when you were going through the research process, it, it probably became um, really kind of like it, it must have been like everything seemed to explode out that everyone had these experiences that you talked about. The uh, I, I think the thing is, it, it, the, the, there was the there was certainly a really extensive period for about two and a half years where there was so much material that I'd uncovered, both new and old, mm. um, that it was like it was never going to all fit into the film. So, you know, uh, it deserves to be shown and uh, mm-hmm. or read. Uh, and so it was on that basis that you simply get much more in a book than you will get in a film. The film, at best, will be two and a half hours for a mm-hmm. documentary, which is an exceedingly long time. Oh, here um, comes Donna. Here we go. Okay. <clears throat> Hello? 
see here. Donna? Ask to unmute. Okay, ask to unmute. Yeah, if you, if you put your cursor over the red sign at the bottom where it says Donna Schreiber, uh, you should oh, be able to unmute it. Oh, I see. It. Okay. You should be able to unmute it because you're the okay. host. Oh, it actually has a hand. I don't have a... Ask to start video. I, I think they'll figure it out. Um, let me see here. Laurie. Yes? yes. Okay, okay I'm, I'm speaking on my phone. Okay, you're echoing. Yeah, no good. That's probably because she's got two windows open, one under yeah. Donna Rayfeld, yeah. one oh. under Donna Schreiber. So close one of them. Okay, okay, one is closed. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, uh, I'm doing it off my phone, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's better. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. Speaker. Now, there? Yes, but I don't see you. Um, what, one thing, Gary, that I was hoping I would share with you is uh, <clears throat> my sister Donna, actually, when I got home in December of 1980, I didn't really talk much about what happened there. And yeah. she pretty much learned more about it as Capel Green came out, but really didn't understand the whole gist of, you know, e even if you can describe it, um, there was like so much more to the fabric that um, it was really difficult. And I have been working on a book for about several decades now, but. Uh, I'm worse than other people. Um, however, um, I asked Donna, and, and as a birthday present, I gave her, I found a copy of Left at East Gate and gave her a copy of it to read as someone who knows me um, yep. and just met Larry. And she definitely had a connection with him and, and, she wanted to share, and I really wanted people to hear her perspective of Left at Escape. Okay. Let me see. Let me see if she is. She is still. Donna. I hope she can figure it out. Yeah, Larry. Larry was wonderful. Talk, talking to him and I, I know it probably did you watch any of the um any of the podcasts with Larry in it uh, it's, on, it's on my schedule uh, obviously I've been really busy and then when I three days after coming back from Brazil I got COVID for the first time so I then <gasps> oh my I was, god uh, yes but I wasn't too bad but I just yeah. had a chesty cough for about five days and then had a few days where I was just very very tired so literally I am just better now wow uh, look, I have to say you are looking really really good you're looking really healthy <laughs> flattery will do you ha have you, you no I'm serious have you lost weight and uh, uh yes no I I I, I did uh, um I I'd, I'd put on weight because 
um, I had not been able to do sport. I'd always done a lot of sport and especially football, tennis, mm -hmm. uh, but I had problems with my knees. And so I had three years ago, I had the first knee replaced, my right knee. Uh, right. And then that helped for a time, but then uh, you've overcompensated yeah. for so long that the left knee then uh, decided to pack up. So in a sense, I couldn't really do any sport for about three or four years. So I put on weight. Uh, but now both knees are done and I'm doing well and I've lost about two stone. So that's good. So I'm feeling wow. a lot healthier. Now two stone and, uh, would be about what? About 20, 20 pounds? 28 pounds, 28 pounds, something wow. like that. So I knew you. I knew it. I was looking at you saying, damn, you're looking good. So I'm slimmer, <laughs> I'm slimmer in the face than I was. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I could I could see it even in your, your shoulder area and stuff. You could tell that. Yeah. It's just... It's just clever camera work, really. But. Oh yeah, there you go, there you go. But but no, you really. Um, and I, I hate to talk about it, but Don, I'm waiting for all here for you to, to admit to the room. Um, yeah, you just look really, really healthy, and you definitely uh, look about 20 years younger. I, well, I think uh, when when I'll keep taking the medicine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, are you still married? Uh, we're separated. Uh, oh, but, okay. Uh, but okay. They, uh, well, these things happen. Sorry to hear that. Um, but we won't talk about it. We'll <laughs> no. Try and see if we can get Donna on this thing. And see, have you talked much with Larry at all? Uh, I spoke to him uh, about a month ago. Um, uh, and then he sent me a message since I got back from Brazil, but I said I've got COVID, so okay. I didn't feel like talking. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be talking to him in the next yeah. week. Can you hear me, Don? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can, I can hear you too. Oh my goodness. I can't tell you. I feel like it's like the enemy did not want me on this podcast today. I got so much. Do you want to, um, um, Gary, this is my sister, Donna. Uh, Hello, Donna. Rachel Hi, Schreiber. And, yeah, and I just wanted to tell you, Gary, I was listening uh, pretty much uh, since around like 315 of your conversations. Okay. Um, so uh, so you're one of the people that are producing Capital Green? Well, I'm not the producer. I, I, I have been the lead researcher for Capital Green. Okay. And done, and done all the, well, 90. He, 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 all is the one of the, he is one of the top dogs, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I did see the uh, Laurie was sending me a couple of years ago the um, you know the uh, what do you call it like when the they when the they, trailers yeah the trailers, trailers. Yeah. oh yeah there's, there's there's been five official trailers so far yeah uh, but the film is in post production and in August it'll be five years since I got involved so that's how long it's taken. But yeah, what was it? James Fox's The Phenomenon took six or seven years to do. But yes, none of us yeah. had a, a clue uh, when we began how long the process would take. But this is all in the hands with with Dion. Uh, as I said to uh, uh, to Laurie at the beginning of the show, uh, from my point of view, I filmed my final summary comments in January of. 2020 just before the first lockdown in the uk yeah so but unfortunately i'm not an editor and that's down to the skill uh, with dion so it's down to dion and uh, and uh, hopefully it will come out this year yeah well i mean i definitely uh 
you know, I'm coming from a God perspective. All right. I had a um, God encounter like 10, almost 10 years ago. And uh, so when I, when I hear that it's been delayed, it's the enemy definitely does not want this to come out, you know? And I, I actually, uh, when the, you know, first time I met Larry was on two podcasts that Lori yeah. had. And um, I didn't even know they were just like kind of like catching up. So I didn't even know exactly what he experienced, but it was so um, I couldn't get off. It was so interesting. This podcast of just them talking about, you know, they were catching up that I wanted the book. So when I got the book, because Lori was reading me like a couple of paragraphs and I was like, yeah. oh, my gosh, I got to get this book. And I found it fascinating because for um, from my perspective, from my standpoint, I almost felt like I was reading somebody in my family because yeah. um, things that happened in this guy's life totally, uh, you know, our family, you know, Laurie and I, it, you know, divorced at the same age. Um, his parents, one of his parents moved up to Glen Falls, which is very close to where my mother moved up to. I mean, there were so many similarities mm -hmm. and uh, basically in the same age bracket. So um, like what he was experiencing at his age, what was going on in the world at that time. And, um, you know, his encounter when, you know, he had an encounter between three and five years old, you know, Lori was having encounters at a very young age. She was having experiences and um, high sensitivity. And, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't know what it, you know, to put a label on it at the time. You know, it just yeah. got to the point where like, she was like, every time she spoke, we were like, no, don't say that because it comes true. You know, mm -hmm. she was yeah, like, yeah. almost like predict the future. And it was like, you know, a lot of times it wasn't positive. And we we're like, please, you know, like having it actually happen. Mm -hmm. We started to like, what is going on? You know, and um, reading his book, though, I really felt like um, because from the God perspective, God created the universe. So um, I actually just this past year had like almost like an alien encounter mm -hmm. uh, seeing something. And I call Lori because it's not my expertise. I said, what do you think of this? But when I saw this thing outside my window, I was feel I asked my the Holy Spirit in me and I said, you know, should I be concerned? And I, I was filled with peace. Like, no, it's okay. I'm on the, I'm on a podcast. No, no. So, um, so from my, from my perspective, um, um, seeing it, I was filled with peace. So I knew whatever this was, and I really do believe that. I don't believe that, um, aliens are here to harm us. I feel like, um, you know, kind of like I think what Lori feels that they are here to keep an eye on us because we're human and we are very flawed. And honestly, the, uh, you know, you know, in the Bible, in the Bible, biblical speaking, you know, it, it's going to go, you know, it's everything that's happening is all in the Bible of what the world is coming to. It's like it's turned upside down. What is evil is now considered good, you know. Um, so. Hmm. You know, it gave me a different um, look on it as um, but but, you know, reading the first half of the book, because it was like a 400 and something page book. Um, I was kind of like fascinated that that aliens pick and choose just the way God does people that are uh, their frequency is high enough that they'll receive and that their um, spirit is open 
to receive that they can actually communicate with or you know get give you an idea of what they're experiencing and his story when they first met the aliens they gave him a family a dolls a husband wife and and child and it's uh and i found that very interesting because it's like family matters family matters like i'm on assignment right now where i'm praying for families i'm praying for marriages because um because of the children uh you know going through a divorce it you know people say kids are resilient and and you know having been a child that has gone through a divorce um it it wrecked me in many ways and yeah. impacted my adulthood the way um you know i put up a lot of walls it, it made it really hard for my marriage to be successful you know um you know my husband came into it not realizing how much baggage i had because of that you know mm -hmm. so i felt like um you know the alien was actually showing that this is important family you know um community unity you know is you know is uh important to the aliens as much as it's important to people who love the lord you know, and I do feel they're higher intelligence and I do feel that they probably know who their creator is. If I know it, then I know that they have to know it. Mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, but the, the end of the book, towards the end of the book, it was more about how the military is reacting to, because um, I'm sure this, this is, it, the, you know, they're giving the, ex, you know, um, conveying that this has been going on for a long time. You know, aliens have been uh, revealing themselves. I mean, people say like the pyramid. Where did they get that from? And you know, all, you know, just things going on. And it's, um, you know, it was more about how how does the military treat people, their people that they're supposed to be protecting, their you know, their um, people that they're hiring, and when they are uh, privy to such information, they chose instead to like uh, mind control, uh, you know, almost like brainwashing. And it's like, once you, it's like, it's kind of like once you see, see an alien, you can't ever erase that. It's so ingrained to you. It's the same thing when you realize that God is real. Once you have that God encounter, no matter what anybody ever says, you know your truth, you know? And I think that's why they tried to cover up something that you could not cover up. So people were suffering with depression or feeling like, uh, you know why is this keep happening because larry's still having visitors he's still having this you know and um, when i was reading the book i just want to say this one thing that god said to me i'm reading the book and uh, it was really how how everybody turned on larry his friends you know his family fell apart because the wife couldn't understand it was just so complex what he his truth was and what he had to do and god said to me he goes isn't that funny he goes he's in good company he goes, because the world hated me first, you know, and it's kind of like when the, if the world is hating mm -hmm. you in a way, in God's eyes, it's like you're on the right track. You're doing, you know, you, you're a higher awareness, you know, where the enemy's trying to squash you and make you be quiet and silence you and even threaten you, you know, uh, where in Larry's case, they were saying like bullets are cheap. You know, that was a military threat. Yeah. So, uh yeah. I mean, Larry's story is is, is a, 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 an amazing experience. Uh, he's had lifelong experiences. Um, there, but you, when you're dealing with a case that's so important, so big, there's a lot of uh, 
factions that don't want certain things to come out. Uh, and, and I think that's the real problem of Rendlesham is that it's the most political case with lots mm -hmm. of agendas at play. And I said this to Laurie earlier, uh, uh, and, and that's where we're at. And uh, uh, people are in for a surprise when all the information comes out that should have come out uh, many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And there's still so much more information to be gleaned. And I hope that, that one of the things that happens as a result of Capel Green and my book is that people will come forward who otherwise we're not aware of. But there were lots more military people involved who saw things and uh, there's still a lot of information still to be gleaned and I hope that we can get more people to come forward. Uh, and, and, and one of the things that needs to happen is, is, is to recognise that all the people involved, whatever role from large to small, they're all touched by it and they're all victims of being mm -hmm. involved in something they were treated poorly. Uh, the U.S. Air Force uh, did not treat them well, uh, you yeah. know. Uh, and I think that they deserve to have a voice. And uh, hopefully, one of the things that will come from the documentary and the book will they'll finally get more of a voice. Yeah, and the other thing too, I just wanted to uh, share is it's kind of like um, there are people which I do believe the ones that the aliens are revealing themselves to. Those are the people that actually can um, see something they've never seen before and actually like, wow, look at it like the beauty of it or like the amazing part of it. Like instead of um, most of the world right away, they predict like the military, they're thinking it's going to be their reaction is going to be fear that the world is going to be like so fearful of aliens because they're they're projecting it like an alien is like a negative thing. And it's kind of like when you find a flower you've never seen before and you can appreciate the beauty of it. But then there's a good sense part of the population of the world that is like, I've never seen that before. Let me pull the pe petals off. Well, Let me see what it's made of. Let me dissect it. You know, I think I think you're right that that that, that, that there's it's important that we do not demonize. Uh, aliens if that's mm -hmm. where they're coming from i personally do think we're dealing with something that's extraterrestrial although it could be interdimensional my personal belief based on the contact scenario over many decades is that we are dealing with multiple species that are coming here mm -hmm. uh, for probably a wide variety of, of agendas uh, which we don't know what they are but there, there will be different agendas but the bottom line is that you, you're dealing with something that's incredibly profound and we're on the brink uh, of, of a paradigm shift uh, of, of contact when it's acknowledged by the world. And we're, we're not quite there yet, but we are moving towards it. And, and, and actually, we're, we're, there is a scenario now that is, um, I think, hours away from being a reality, which is if you think of the Phoenix Nights, Phoenix Lights uh, from 1997, when that boomerang-shaped object was tracked for a couple of hundred miles and seen by thousands and thousands of people and stopped over Phoenix. Uh, unfortunately, all we had then was poor video cameras that were not able to capture the detail. Mm -hmm. But we are now in a different world of technology. So if the Phoenix Lights event happened tomorrow, it would all be live streamed mm -hmm. on, on social media. And you could not contain that kind of event anymore. So we are within one event 
of a new reality. And the question is, do we wait for that incident to occur and then it's out of control? Or do the powers that be, governments say, look, actually, yeah, we have to address this. There is a reality going on here. Uh, and we now start preparing people for this paradigm shift. Um, because I tell you, if, if we had another incident like Phoenix Nights tomorrow, uh, the Phoenix Lights, then, uh, then, then it would go around the world viral. Everybody would be down streaming it live, and you could not contain it. The military would not be able to contain it. Governments would not be able to contain it. So we are yeah. one incident away from a new paradigm. Yeah. And the sad thing, thing is, is if you look at the um, uh, media and how they're portraying aliens on movies and everything, it it's always like. Independence Day, you know, they want to take over the earth, they want to kill us all. And it's yeah. there was only one that was ET that, that was that, like that's the nice alien. But yeah, but that, that was a kid that was a kid's film, so you can get away with it. But even then yeah. there was the 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 threat element of them of, of ET being chased by the authorities. But no, the reality is is that they've been around for at least 75, yes. 80 years. Had they wanted to take over, they could have at the drop of a hat. The fact that they haven't would appear to say that they're not a direct threat. Uh, I tend to think that uh, humans uh, vastly overrate their importance on, on the kind of uh, uh, species mm. development scale. And I think uh, we're probably just the ants in the playground. Uh, we don't go around mm -hmm. in the playground and look at ants and start talking to them because we think we're too clever. But what if we're the ants and the aliens are thinking we're a very primitive warlike species just on the brink of technology into space, etc. However, they've got a big interest in nuclear weapons uh, and uh, that that correlation's been going back to the 40s, 1940s. Mm -hmm. So that says to me that they're watching us because we have a, a, achieved nuclear vision uh, and that's dangerous. And I think that they, they think, oh, you're playing with fire there. So it's that doesn't matches. appear to be a correlation. Yeah, yeah I, I was thinking that um, I read somewhere that someone was talking about um, they're not here to protect humans. They're here to protect this gem called Earth. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I tend to think a lot of people say to me, you know, why why did they come here? And I go, well, probably uh, in our bit of the cosmic neighborhood, it's a beautiful blue planet full of water, rich in life and diverse fauna. Uh, and multitudes of life, vast oceans. And I think that in our bit of cosmic uh, neighborhood, we're probably like a bit of an oasis in the desert. Mm -hmm. And that's why they come here. And uh, that's only what we would do if we were exploring. We go to the Great Barrier Reef because it's the best place for, you know, for, for reefs. And, uh, uh, we, uh, and uh, we go to, you know, amazing places around the world uh, because they're they're unique so uh, i think we're just being studied a lot of the time um, just because it's our natural habitat and i think they're space mm -hmm. tourists as much as anything that could be that that could be and and i think i think there are the ones that that are out there that are like you said with the you know anytime you're near a base that's got nuclear weapons it's uh something to be concerned with because of the fact that it wouldn't take long to destroy our planet. And no. 
I mean, we're doing it slowly right now. I'm hoping we can correct a lot of the things going on in our, you know, our planet with, with the water and whatnot, um, especially what's going on with like Lake, Lake Mead is almost dried up. And, uh, you know, they're, you know. Uh, You'd like to think that we've learned things over the decades, but you've only got to look at what's happening in, in you know, Russia and Ukraine to know that we're still a, a warlike mm-hmm. race and there are many wars going on around the world. So we're, we're a very primitive warlike species and, uh, yeah. uh, you know, if, if alien lands on the White House lawn, we probably shoot it. So that's why they probably don't land on the White House lawn. Yeah, it was interesting that uh, when I first, I think one of the first few times I talked to you, Gary, it was when uh, you were interviewing me for um, doing the research for yeah. um, Capel Green and, yeah. and, and you wanted to know where I stood. I remember that with, um, with uh, Left at Eastgate, with uh, Larry Warren. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just really believed that you know, all I could say is that I, I totally believe Larry. I, I think his story has been consistent. It hasn't, hasn't changed what he experienced there. I experienced, I mean, there are many yeah. elements that I could check off a box to say, mm-hmm. yeah, that happened. Yeah, that happened. You know, and, and the behaviors he encountered there too, on top of it, instead of being maybe sympathetic or thoughtful or listening. I mean, I knew Major Ziegler. I, I knew all these people. I mean, it, it was kind of ironic that all these players would come out. I knew John Burroughs when he, he got there in like 79. I mean, uh, for him to see the UFO or to get close to it, it was like, uh, especially if, if he was treated poorly, it was like, couldn't happen to a better guy, you know, because I knew him back then. And I was just thinking that, um, you know, he was pretty much uh, very loud and loudmouth, they would say. And, you know, so, you know, I kind of felt like I, initially when I learned about that, it came back, I kind of felt like this is good. I'm really, really glad that these people have to carry this, whatever they experience, because I've been carrying what I've got. It, hasn't left me and people will say well why do you dwell on it i'm like i don't dwell on it it's just a part of who i am i mean you know it's it's there and um for me to talk about it it's very cathartic and that's that's why i mean it's like i have a i have a need so hence that's where you see god aliens and a cup of coffee you know it's funny laurie i just want to say so when i think about it even the personalities, you and Larry, very similar personalities. Laurie, as a kid, was kind of like, um, you weren't going to shut her down. You weren't going to stop her from speaking. You know, you could try and tell her, don't do that. But if she has, like, her spirit was like, um, I have something to say, and I'm going to say it. And Larry, in the book, too, and even talking to him on the podcast, he's like the perfect person because he's genuine. He's not, mm-hmm. you know, nobody going through the, what you guys witnessed, uh, Laurie and uh, Larry, um, it's not like the type of thing where you're walking around, you're proud of this, or you're like, you know, you're bragging on it because it brought so much negativity, but it's the fact of like, I can't not, I can't just sit here idle and pretend that this never happens, you know, and that the people have a right to know. 
you know, and truly, I think this what's great about this podcast is that hopefully it will reach other people that are not in the UFO realm. All right. Like I'm one of them. I'm not in the UFO realm. I'm, you know, I'm a regular, uh, you know, really person until uh, this year that I had some kind of encounter, but, you know, a regular you know person, but it's like, why is God, uh, you know, I feel like God specifically chose you two who are so much alike to on different parts of the globe. He's in England, you're here and you're still getting your voice. And many people mm-hmm. tried to shut you down and you're like, no, I'll, I'm now the Lone Ranger came out, you know, mm-hmm. when you started that, you know, so um, it's the, you know, God chose somebody with tenacity. That's, that's mm-hmm. not going to be silenced and is not afraid, you know, because most people live in fear and would never Mm-hmm. do what you two did yeah. you know do, do you know do you know how we came up with the name of the group uh the rendlesham lone ranger ufo site it oh, was on. what's that go on I, I don't know go on tell oh. me i got kicked off of the uh justice for the 81st security police squadron yeah. of 1980 right. i got kicked yeah. off of it my ufo sighting happened in 1980 i wanted justice i wanted to know what was going on I wanted to figure it out, you know, and and I think it was uh, Jim Penniston told me it was uh, John Burroughs who who kicked me off because he wanted to only talk about those three nights or four nights and in December. So I said, well, fine, I, I'm, I'm at the point in my life where I'm just going to I'm the Lone Ranger. I'm, I'm the one that's going to have this page. And uh, and you did right, and it's a good page. Uh, I appreciate I the, you saying that. I guess the sad thing is that you were forced to do that. Um, uh, yeah. That's the real yeah. problem, is that I, the way I look at it is that mm. too many people involved in this uh, case have got agendas. And uh, instead of saying, well, we're all part of something, yeah, yes, your, yeah. your incident happened earlier, but it's still at the same base. It's still a part of the story. And, mm-hmm. it, and, it, uh, 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 and there were several other precursor cases mm-hmm. in 1980 that are all as relevant that leads up to the late December. And unfortunately, people have different opinions, but right. I think that everybody should have come together under one roof. Mm-hmm. And this is what Colonel Holt should have been doing decades ago is saying look okay you're, you're touched by this uh sometimes you've had a big part sometimes you've had a small part but you're all part of this and we mm-hmm. all stick together but unfortunately too many people uh sort of several prominent people within the rfi community have decided to i think uh, change the rules a bit and uh, mm-hmm. uh, instead of making it inclusive they've made it exclusive uh, which is wrong Absolutely. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, um, for, for the longest time when, uh, when I learned about with, uh, first met for the second time, first met for the second time, uh, Larry in 97, you know, he reminded me of, you know, and I can vaguely remember things. Uh, I, I kind of have that visual, um, the way I remember things at bases. That's how, and I know he does too. It's, it's like his, it's almost like a, he had a camera, a movie camera in his brain that he could remember how things went. And I, um, and I kind of vaguely remember, you know, talking or, or 
introducing myself to him when he was there. And like I said, I had this heavy feeling in my gut saying, I wish I could share with you, you know, the negativity of this place because it's really, I can't wait to get the hell out of here. I, I want to get out of here so badly. Um, but I'm at the point where I, I just want to survive. And, you know, uh, but the interesting thing is that the strategy of kicking me off the page, it was very, it was, it mirrored the way that many of us were treated at Bentwaters. So in some essence, it's kind of like what the powers to be out there want it to be that way. This infighting, this this. Absolutely. Now that is, I think you know, that is done deliberately to, yes. to create the infighting. The infighting, I think, is part of the genders to 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 cause problems so that it's not a cohesive group of people. I think that was really one of the things at the start and and i think that's yeah. at the heart of it is that instead of everybody coming together and working together yeah. as one at the start somebody decided that the best way for this case to be played down is to uh, create division and unfortunately mm -hmm. uh, people went along with it and i think certain people have created divisions and still want divisions and uh, mm. uh, uh, and that needs to stop because it's a case that's so good people deserve mm. to have a voice not just a few people lots of people deserve oh, to have yeah. a voice oh yeah yeah One and thing I, I also Laurie, if i can i just want to share is um you know how um you know god knew before he even created you know you in in the womb that uh what your purpose was going to be and it was kind of like god knew that they uh that the enemy was going to try to cause division so that it would just make it sound like oh they're just a bunch of uh they you know they can't get organized they can't get there's no unity there so there's no like what's the point who's telling the truth they can't even get their own story mm -hmm. straight but so i that's why i almost laugh because i'm thinking how you know god put these characteristics in you and larry that yeah they're going to try and cause a problem try to destroy his book and whatever and yeah you know uh, you know, there were trials and tribulations in both of your lives on how are you handling this, but you guys, both of you still persevered, still, you know, Larry mm -hmm. just shows up on a podcast, it's like he will not be silenced, and, and you're the same way, mm -hmm. and so, I mean, it's like, I feel like because God has a will and a purpose in this area, in this area with the aliens, and God is going to have his way, so he strategically put you two there that, yeah, everyone's going to cause division and everything. Kick her out. Go ahead, kick her out. And Lori's like, I'm not going away. <laughs> Don't think I'm going away. And that's, yeah. you know, um, all those elements, you know, I just feel like, uh, you know, God's up in heaven looking down, like smiling, like, oh, yeah, put, you know, play your next chess move. Go ahead. Go mm -hmm. ahead. Cause I, um, you know, I know the end result and I know what I'm going to have. And all things work to God's glory. All things work. No matter how, you know, and it's, you know, sad, but we do suffer in our lives, but it's, it's always this, it's not what happens to us, but it's how we react, yeah. right? Because, uh, you know, God, you know, we are all trying to uh, be, elevate ourselves to a higher level to be more Christ-like, okay? So that, uh, you know, for, um, just for everyone's sake, and uh, how do you do that? You do that by... God puts trials in your life and, you know, you know, not, not positive things, you know, they cut you off of the thing that hurt, 
but yet, how did you handle it? Did you walk away with, you know, like feeling bad and depressed or you said, I'm going to start my own fellow ranger. It's setting mm-hmm. examples. Like you passed that test, you know, and the same thing, like with Larry reading the book, because I was reading it kind of like through God's eyes. I was seeing God's perspective on it. And it was like, the sad thing is, is when um, he was, um, he had a lot of anger, which our family had a lot of anger from divorce and all that. And, um, you know, so he sought refuge in like alcohol. You know, he had seasons of, you know, just drinking, he was saying in the book. And, um, you know, because a lot of people would fall that way, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, but I still feel like there is a victory coming Larry's there's a blessing coming Larry's way because mm-hmm. a lot of things he has done right you know so absolutely um, absolutely I mean for, uh, for me um getting the book out naming it left Eddie's gate because there were so many times that I felt abandoned Eddie's gate and it was just um it was just so cathartic that I had him to talk to I mean he he was he is probably the most open person in in my book, as opposed to um, the others who were involved. And, um, but typical to the military, they really did compartmentalize a lot of the events that happened and kept everybody separate. And like Ari just said about, you know, the more witnesses come out, the more we hear stories. Like for instance, um, and I mentioned him a long time ago to you, Gary, about, uh, I remember talking to my friend, George Conway, um, and he didn't have a big part in it, but he was the driver of uh, Colonel, what's his name, uh, Gordon Williams, who dropped off that canister to the, to the plane that was waiting yeah. on the yeah. runway. And, and he was, he was, George is like really funny. I mean, George was like, he's driving the vehicle and he's like, holy, holy mackerel. <laughs> I'm driving the, the wing commander, the highest ranking guy. He was like, he was kind of a little bit nervous. And then, then he, he looked in the, you know, the, the mirror, you know, and he was adjusting it and he was staring at what the Colonel was holding, the, you know, the, the canister, I think it had film in it or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the uh, colonel told them to uh, what are you staring at? And he was like, oh, <laughs> they went away from staring. And he got to the aircraft. He handed it over and then went back. And he thought he had no idea. He had no idea what happened that evening or the evening before and that kind of thing. But you know, but these little pieces, like you said, you know, all little like, pieces of jigsaw. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And what an amazing story it it would really it would really tell, especially. And I found out that this other gentleman, um, Doc Rhodes, yeah, he, yeah. Fin- he finally came out and told me that, oh, I was on Police 12, which was the main gate of Woodbridge. And he did see the UFO the night that I was there. So he saw it from a different perspective. And he was like, yeah, I was uh, seeing these lights over the, uh, kind of like it was over the base housing, which was in heading in the direction of East Gate. And yeah, you know, I was like, yeah, but he, apparently it was really easy to get sleepy there. And uh, yeah, he, you know, he said he didn't hear all the, what happened when I tried to report it over the radio. And then uh, Alan Cohen, who was a desk sergeant at the time, told me, uh, Ray Felt, get on the uh, landline at East Gate to explain to him, which, but he gave me, Alan Cohen gave me some good advice. He told me, he said, uh, 
he said, go to the air tower and see what they found. And I said, okay, I got something I can work with, you know, but then I woke the guy up. So there you go. It really pissed me off. But the, again, the technology back there was, you know, was terrible. I mean, the way we even did, the way we documented things, uh, how long they would keep documents back then. They had like a five-year turnaround before they take them to the burn building and burn it. Well, it, it, one of the things that always amuses me, uh, having been in the military, and you obviously been in the military as well, is is the fact that had this have been a Soviet helicopter flying over the base, it not only would have been shot down, fired at, um, there would have been huge press coverage. It would have been an international incident. But because we're just talking about UFOs that don't supposedly exist, everything, all the procedures go, uh, they're all different and nobody does anything properly. Uh, and it's a joke. And, and this is the whole yeah, thing yeah. is that, you know, if this had been any kind of Soviet East German or Soviet bloc uh, secret oh, yeah. experiment, they'd have been shot at. It would have been on news at 10. All it would have been plastered all over the world. The fact mm. that it wasn't is a bit like the talk, the stories of the drones now that swarm in warships off the US coast. Mm. Uh, these aren't drones in conventional uh, kind of uh, uh, how we think of a conventional drone. They've just been labelled as drones by the press who just want to simply label them as, as, as they prefer to call them a drone, which infers that it's man-made. But I don't think these things are man-made. At least a lot of them aren't um, because they're seen way off uh, uh, the shore, uh, you know, hundreds of miles off, off the coast. Uh, they're seen for hours and hours and then so they've got incredible batteries that no nobody possesses uh, for conventional drones. So it, yeah. we're just putting labels on things because we're dealing with things that people don't understand. And it's still going on, uh, but hopefully things are beginning to improve. Well, I if there's anything that I can do for you, Gary, if you need me in any way, let me know. Because well, uh, I appreciate that. Uh, because, uh, yeah, I, I think we're, like with Larry, we're all on the same the same sheet and pretty much, um, you know, and, and it goes with Robert Salas too. He and I, he and I have talked at length also. And uh, yeah. the well, only thing I, I meant, the only thing I mentioned to him is I said, you know, they still need a little diversity on those boards because it's usually a bunch of white men. I've said, you know, uh, if they ever need Lori. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> No, I've I, I obviously just just uh, just uh, had the uh, pleasure of seeing uh, Robert again. Uh, oh, absolutely! In, yeah. in in Brazil, so we were you know we were sat next to, uh, together on the stage, um, uh, and uh, we obviously spread, shared some time in meals out of the conference, yeah. out of the hearing. So you know, uh, Robert's done amazing work uh, with his uh, yeah. work on exposing the Malmsteen instrument from 1967. It's a huge thing, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I sincerely hope that he gets the chance. Uh, as an American witness uh, to another congressional hearing, because I think, I think mm -hmm. hopefully what will come out within the next 12 months is um, certainly if this whistleblower legislation takes place yeah. uh, and becomes law, then I think that, that it's laying the, the groundwork for another a congressional hearing, but this time where 
significant military witnesses are called to give testimony about events that have been yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah, and, and hopefully, like Bob, hope you know, Bob Jacobs and Robert Salas will be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, um, hopefully, my neighbor in Tucson, Arizona, here they won't invite him. But you know, I don't know that. Who are you talking about? You don't know who I'm talking about? No. Neither does anybody who is listening. <laughs> Okay. You oh, might Nick, want to Nick Pope. Nick Pope. All right. Well, yeah, yeah. that's down to other people. Uh, but I, am... I just can't watch any UFO shows with him in it. It just drives me nuts. I mean, I feel like I almost want to write all these places, these media, to say hello. Well, he, he, he still thinks I should be arrested for getting involved in Careful Green. So he's still. Oh, he's oh still, yeah. Yes, well, he's still he's still out there uh, doing his damnedest to keep me off TV and does a pretty good job to be fair. But uh, uh, but the truth will come out at some point. Yeah. Well, just just recently, I, I was in touch with um, I don't know if it was you or Tino. I think it was Tino who who did this hour long video um, addressing all the issues that Peter Robbins had with Larry. And I, I said to Peter, I said, you should, you should watch this. I said, you know, he addresses everything you said. And he was very, very candid. And um, he, kind of, he kind of turned it around on me saying, well, you're not reading thoroughly or you're doing this or you're doing that. You don't get it. You know? I said, yeah, I do get it. Believe me, I was there, A, you know, that kind of thing. And anyway, to make a long story short, I mean, he got really, really angry that I didn't follow, the, you know, didn't follow the suit to jump the bandwagon. And I said, I can't. I, I said, in fact, I said to him, if I was on a jury, I, I would say he was not guilty. I was, it's, you know, and I'm not, it's not my place to say whether someone's guilty or not anyway. But, um, but yeah. Lori, I haven't tried to interrupt, but um. I'm going to, I got to, I got to get going. Okay. So I wanted to do a quick prayer because I want to pray for uh, his uh, capital green. Okay. Before I go, is that, is that okay? Is that okay? I'm done. All right. Do. Awesome. He's got such a good smile. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you for uh, today, Lord, for the conversation, Lord. We just pray that, uh, you know, it works towards your purpose and your will. Lord, I just pray no weapon formed against any of us will prosper, Lord. I pray blessing over the Keppel Green uh, movie that's coming out, Lord. I, pray, I thank you, Lord, that I know that I know the truth will prevail. Lord, that eyes will be opened. Opportunities will come to every person involved to share their truth. Lord, we just uh, are, uh, continue to advance the kingdom. No matter what uh, the uh, attacks are coming at us, Lord, that we will have good discernment. God, that we will have the wisdom to uh, go to you with everything that's uh, coming at us as uh, the future holds, because we see the enemy is getting incited and, uh, you know, doesn't even want us uh, talking and, you know, phones are dropping and everything, Lord, but that uh, we will continue to persevere, Lord, that, um, that you will be in the center of everything, Lord. So I just pray protection over each of our families as we lock shields around each other, Lord, in protection and um, anybody who watches this, that um, Lord, I pray you open their eyes and their hearts to the truth, Lord, that um, 
because I do believe that there's um, so much misinformation that's going through the uh, media and everything right now that um, all of it is just going to uh, not bear any fruit, Lord, that Cable Green will be uh, on schedule as uh, sooner than later, Lord, that it come to fruition. So, Father God, I just thank you for um, Gary and his family, uh, blessings over his family. Um, God, you know everything that's going on over there. So I just pray, Lord, that uh, you just pour into his heart, his eyes, his spirit, his soul. Lord, that you uh, guide him on, his, on this journey. Lord, and I pray uh, blessings over Lori and her family, Lord, as well. Just uh, continue to uh, grow us, teach us, change us, transform us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Gary, it was a pleasure uh, talking to you. And um, Lori, I got to run, okay? I got to go to work, okay? Okay. okay. Right. You. It, 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 it's, it's been a pleasure to meet you and uh, we enjoyed speaking. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh. God bless. Okay. Bye-bye. I'm going to put it on. Gave me a really... Oh, hold on.